0: A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of speaking with a group of sixth-years from Clydeview Academy in Guruk. I delivered a presentation titled The Evolution of You, where we discussed how your brain and mind change and develop over time, and how that can impact us at different stages of our life. We also discuss strategies that can help us deal with our emotions more effectively, particularly during adolescence, which can be really challenging due to the maturity of our emotional centres in our brains. In addition to this, I spoke about my own life and times that I've struggled with my own mind and how that has led me down a completely different career path than I first imagined. I received some really lovely feedback from the students, which I'm grateful for, so thank you for that. And I also extended an invitation for students to ask me a direct question via an online questionnaire. I thought it'd be useful not only to send a written response back to students, but share some of their questions and my responses as I thought it may be useful to others. So I'm going to introduce some of the questions and responses from some of my students at Clydeview. The first great question is, what prompted you to go into schools instead of continuing in marine and freshwater biology? So that's a great question. Um, It had been my dream from childhood. Like I said, I did want to be David Attenborough from a young age. Uh, I still love the natural world. I love our oceans, and I love that we still know so little about the world around us. And I'm so glad I studied it for nine years at uni. But going through a severe depression during that time, was perhaps the most profound experience of my life. Once I realised how many young people were opting to take their own life and how close I'd come to making that decision myself, um, I felt compelled to try and stop young people from making that choice. I intimately understood why you may feel that way, but I'd also found a way out of it, something that I didn't think was possible. i genuinely convinced myself that I'd feel that way forever. I wish someone had told me what I know now, when I was 16 or 17 years of age. It may not have stopped the feelings from coming, but it would have made made me better prepared. I still love being in nature, I love going on forest walks and swimming in the ocean, maybe more so in Australia than in Scotland. Uh, However, I feel if we are here to do one thing, or we have a mission in life, then talking to young people about their own minds is mine. Next question, does the brain still develop at the same age in someone living with autism or ADHD? This is another really great question and there isn't a clear answer to this question primarily because there isn't a consensus on the results, particularly for autism. For example, some researchers have found differences in brain development between infants with autism and infants who don't have autism And some studies have found the brain of an infant with autism can grow quicker than an infant who doesn't have autism. There's also some evidence to suggest the size of the amygdala can differ between people living with autism and people who are not. Uh, But what's unusual about that is some studies have found enlarged amygdalas and some have found smaller amygdalas. So it appears to be specific to an individual rather than a feature. Of someone living with autism. Studies on ADHD have shown that the brain of an individual with ADHD does mature more slowly, particularly in the prefrontal cortex which we discussed. So, in a very long answer to your question, yes these can probably all contribute to a variation in the rate of brain development. However, I'd argue that brain development may vary from person to person anyway, so it's quite an individual thing, but it's an amazing question. How did you gain confidence to talk about your personal experiences to a group of strangers? (laughs) So uh, I can tell you after many years of speaking in front of people, I still feel nervous. I don't think that ever truly goes away, but being passionate about a subject definitely makes it easier convey your message in a confident manner. If I'd been up there discussing Shakespeare or trigonometry, I may have been a stumbling mess. Um, Fortunately, I was invited to discuss something that I believe is the most important thing I can talk about, which is our minds. Another reason is probably related to the main theme of my talk, that I'm using my prefrontal cortex versus my amygdala. So I doubt when I was 16 or 17 I would have felt that confident to discuss my personal experiences in front of a group of strangers mainly because everyone was trying to come across as cool at that age um, and you could tell from my 16 year old photograph that I put in that talk um, that my bad haircut and my really really terrible diamond earring um, that I was feeling miserably at that although I didn't think so at the time and in a nutshell we care way more about other people's thoughts and feelings of us during that phase of our life than we do when we get into our 30s. So why why is that? Well, the whole world is open-ended to you at this moment in time when you're in your adolescence. Um, at your age, every person you meet may be your soulmate, they may be your best friend forever, for example, uh, and that's what we believe subconsciously anyway. And there's an evolutionary benefit to think that way. It keeps all your options open. Um, so we try and create and maintain these massive social networks um, we try and maintain this image to so many people um, all of the time, which is pretty exhausting and talking about how you feel in front of a group of strangers may feel like a really quick way to tarnish that image that you've crafted so carefully for so many years. It isn't, but unfortunately that's what most of us believe for a long time. So when you find your partner and you start a family your priorities definitely shift. You no longer have the energy or desire to impress everyone with your your image. And you focus on the people closest to you and pour your time and energy into them and also become a bit more authentic, I think, in that process. Another thing I've learned that helps with public speaking is changing where I focus my attention. Now, if I live inside my own head and think, oh my God, I hope these slides work, I hope my voice doesn't break, which, Uh, My previous students will tell you happened more often than I would like. Um, I hope I don't get a mind blank. You can quickly spiral and, and feel overwhelmed. And if I put myself in the shoes of an audience member and ask myself what do they really want, well, really they just want to hear something interesting and they want to enjoy the experience. When I'm in the audience, I'm not even thinking about the stuff that the speaker has running through their head. So I want them to do well and I want to feel like I can walk away having learned something. So another old adage that a lot of public speakers live by is it's important to focus on how the audience feels rather than what you say. In 10 years time, someone may not remember a single word of what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel. Think back to one of your favorite primary school teachers. um, It's unlikely you remember a single word in any of their lessons, but you will remember how they made you feel. So if you want to think about public speaking, I'd focus on feeling, not just the content. How is your audience going to feel when you talk about your presentation? Next great question. Describe the healing process after your particularly tough time in 2014. So this is a really interesting one. So this was for people that weren't there after um, dealing with quite a severe depression and I think afterwards the best way to describe it is like a, a life renewal. Um, I guess it's maybe close to what a born-again Christian may feel when they completely change the direction they were living and leave the old version of themselves behind and have an entirely new version of themselves moving forward. Something that was really important that always sounds a bit weird when I say it was I was actually correct in what needed to happen. Something needed to die. And unfortunately I'd mistakenly believed that that was my my physical self when in fact it was something mentally that had to die. I had a perfectly healthy body. Um, but it was my mind that was causing issues. So once I realized I had to do a sort of mental death instead of a physical one, I began to completely rebuild my mind from the ground up. And this was still painful. I had to let go of everything I thought I knew about life, all of the agreements I'd made with myself and attachments, beliefs and opinions that I was holding on to quite strongly. Um, The mental image I'd created for myself had to be destroyed in order for this new one to be built in its place. And the most powerful book that helped me begin that process was The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. So I think I've read this book, and it's quite small, but I've read it about 50 times, and I think I've bought at least 25 copies for friends. And, and why it was so powerful for me is the author's ability to verbalise things that we we know intuitively in our heads, but we haven't quite said them out loud. For example, he talks about how we believe we're in total control of our lives, yet we didn't even choose our own names and it's one of the most important words to us in our vocabulary. And once I had to let go of who I thought I was or I needed to be, I began to rebuild by reading and devouring philosophy books, psychology books and trying to develop this really strong mindset. And one of my favourite philosophers during that period of time uh, is Marcus Aurelius and he said, he was a Roman emperor that lived about 2,000 years ago and he said that we need to create an inner citadel in our minds a place of peace and contentment regardless of what's going on outside of the walls So from 2014 onwards I've tried to build this inner citadel, brick by brick, instead of fighting a constant battle with my own mind. And I now have a sanctuary that I can retreat to. So, after reading so much and rebuilding my mind, I suddenly felt like I had a future again, which I hadn't been able to see for a very long time. And for many years, I was just trying to survive each day So this was a massive boost to actually see beyond the next week. And another massive part of that healing process was putting goals in my future that I wanted to aim for. And once I had a goal, I tried to reverse engineer how I could go on off and achieve it. So another important lesson I learned was the real growth and healing takes place on the road to reaching that goal rather than achieving the goal itself. A great final question. How are you able to deal with the immense workload of university whilst also battling with your mental health? This is a really good question. And in a way, I was fortunate that this happened to me during my studies. Even though I wasn't in a great place mentally, I was still aware of some universal truths. For example, eating fruit and vegetables is good for me. Trying to do a bit of exercise is good for me. Completing my degree is going to be good for me long-term. I knew that by completing my university studies, it would leave my future self in a better position. And if I was going to feel terrible, I'd still rather feel terrible and have a degree than feel terrible and not have it. And my work at the time also felt like a bit of an escape. I was totally consumed in my studies and the tasks I had to focus on. And it gave me a bit of time where I wasn't completely overwhelmed with how I was feeling. And I think having something to focus on and feeling like, I have to do this, helped me get through my days. I was fortunate that I didn't believe my studies were the source of my depression. If I was studying or not, I believe I would have felt that way. In fact, having no reason to get up in the morning and do my uni work probably would have made things worse. If something is seriously impacting your mental health, then of course you should evaluate whether or not you should continue doing it. However, if you can see something as a universal truth, something that you know long term is going to be good for you, if you could, I would try and keep it in your life. The mental boost of completing nine years of study whilst feeling that way gave me a sense of invincibility afterwards. Now, I feel I can do absolutely anything.